Welcome back, loyal listeners, to the Real Japan Podcast. I am one of the hosts, Kenzo. And I am Ferg. And as we do every week, we'll be bringing you the latest juicy headlines and meme-worthy content from Japan. And hopefully it will keep your attention for about the next hour. So without further ado, as we do every week, we will see how life is in the mountains with a report from Ferg. Yes, life here is going well, thank you. The rainy season has finally ended. I haven't had much chance to go out a lot yet, but I was taking a walk just in the neighborhood recently, and I saw a bear. Really? Like a, a, a proper bear? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, it was certainly a bear, but it looked not quite fully grown to me. Not a really tiny, small child bear, but perhaps a little bit smaller than full size. And like an adolescent bear? Mm, yes, yes. Yeah. And this was sort of confirmed by later sightings in the area, not by me, but mm. where it seemed a mother, presumably a mother, had been spotted oh, with okay. her sort of, you know, younger bears, child bears. Wow. Mm. Yes. The um, I know that they had those other sightings because we get an alert on our phones that tells us when there are sightings of bears yeah, you get in like, the area. You get like a bear alert? Mm, exactly, yes. Wow, I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure you have like the disaster things on your phone, right? That say for earthquakes or floods or Yeah, which I like unsuccessfully that. tried to turn off. <laughs> Dude, that's essential information. Oh, it's not, man. Uh, okay, here's, here's the thing with the yeah. earthquake alerts, right? Yeah. So, so you get the alert. Yeah. And like at the best case scenario, you have you get the alert, and then like what three to four seconds later, the earthquake mm-hmm. will hit. Mm-hmm. It's like what am I supposed to do with that information? Quickly grab your rations and run outside. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Like, there's like what am I supposed to do with that? You know. Hmm. Although that's the way I see it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, okay, and that coupled with the fact mm. that ninety-nine percent of the time, yeah, it's like yeah, it's just uh, you know I might get jolted around a bit, and it's not. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. not and, okay. Either that, or it's just a false positive, like it was it was last week. Yeah, which does happen, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. so it's just, like, it's, it's not accurate enough, and it's not timely enough for it to be mm. of any use, in, in my opinion. Mm. And, and so, okay, and here's the thing. So I tried to turn it off. Yep. You Supposedly, you can go into settings. I, I have an iPhone. Um, but yeah, you can go into, like, notifications, and at the, if you scroll down to the very bottom, it says emergency alerts. Okay. And, and if you turn that off you're not supposed to get them mm. and yet perfect and yet mine is off and i still get them damn don't you want to be alerted when the north koreans invade <laughs> well yeah that that might be a useful one yeah yeah I, I, they should just allow it so yeah you can like 
maybe customize it better. Mm, you know, yeah. they have like the like earthquake and flood and bear and yeah, you know, so you can tick the ones you want. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Because um, stuff like flooding, I think, is is somewhat useful. You know, admittedly, right? Or like landslides, stuff like that. You know, but yeah, just the earthquake one is the most. It's the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. What about if people are driving and it might give them a few seconds to pull over? But who does? That is the thing because everyone knows that it's oh they're like oh boy here's another earthquake alert. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's useful for like like trains, I think. Oh yes, I see. Yes, you know, like so the train a, can stop. Yeah, so the train, you know, it gives a couple of seconds for the trains to slow down, um, which I think is is useful um, because trains don't have to worry about traffic, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, with the number of people that are typically on a train, it's a. Uh, it's it's good to be cautious in, mm. in those cases, but I think if you're in a car and like you're on the the highway, and let's say you get the alert, like if if you get the alert and you pull over, I think it's actually more dangerous mm. because no one around you is going to be pulling over because no one does. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then if you if you slow down after the alert hits, then mm. people, you. Uh, relatively likely to get hit, I think. What about if if you're working on something or playing a computer game? It gives you a few moments to save your game. <laughs> save your game before <laughs> your house gets demolished by the earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're yeah okay. So maybe the hardcore gamers should uh, should leave their alerts on. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. That's a, a point well taken. Yeah. Well, what about you? How was how was your past week? Uh, let's see, my week was, uh, yeah, I, f- I feel like something happened, but mm. can't really, yeah, I think it, it probably wasn't that interesting if I can't remember it. Have you been enjoying the sweltering hot weather since the rainy season ended? Yeah, yeah, maybe that, maybe that was it. Yeah, mm. maybe jolted my memory. Yeah, it's, uh, no more rain. No, sir. So that, that's nice. Yep. But uh, but now we are in the situation where the shoddy construction of my Japanese home mm. means it is sweltering hot inside. Yikes. Because I have no insulation. Yikes. Yeah. It, it never gets too hot out there, right, in Nagano? I mean, well, it gets somewhat hot, but... It does get somewhat hot, and the locals say it's getting hotter every year. But mm. traditionally, yes, it is cooler. For me, there is a noticeable difference when I go down to Nagano City. Oh, really? Because of all the, I guess, all the concrete and the buildings, the traffic. Exactly. Heat. Exactly. I mean, technically, I do live in Nagano City, but I live on the outskirts of it. Mm. So I need to go down into the city if I'm to visit the shops and things. It's right, right, like, right. in the same way that some cities in Japan are like, Kyoto, for example, it's a kind of basin, you know, surrounded mm-hmm, by mountains, mm-hmm. and apparently it traps the heat and does get quite warm in the city. Yeah, Saitama is in a similar situation. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's it's right north of Tokyo, but uh, it, it's in a basin as well. So it 
it's typically um, a couple degrees warmer in, in, in Saitama than it is in Tokyo, even though it's not really all that far distance-wise. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, sorry I don't have anything interesting this week. It's just uh, staying at home. Well, that's okay. Only a couple of months of summer this year because the rainy season was so long, eh? Yeah. Oh, well, shall we move on to our coronavirus roundup? Yeah, let's do it. See what we got this week. Yes, sir. Well, more bad news, I'm afraid. 1,239 new cases of coronavirus over the past 24 hours as of August the 4th brought the total in Japan to 41,524. So recently we have crossed the 40,000 mark. It feels like we just, yeah, it feels like we just crossed 30k. Well, yes, you are not wrong. The pace of infection or the spread of the the pace of the spread of the infection has been increasing. And your intuition is correct. So it took us here in Japan, approximately two and a half months to go from 10,000 cases to 20,000 cases. Mm -hmm. So an increase of 10,000 cases. The next increase of 10,000 cases from 20,000 cases to 30,000 cases took 20 days. Wow. The most recent increase of 10,000 cases from 30,000 cases to 40,000 cases, as you mentioned, how long do you think it took? Uh, 10 days? Eight days. Eight days. So it does appear that the pace of the spread of the infection is increasing. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. Mm, Yes. We now have 1,203 reported deaths from coronavirus with the addition of five deaths over the past 24 hours. Mm. There were 309 new cases in Tokyo. Not a record high, but still above 300. Yeah. And there were record increases in a few places. Kanagawa, Kumamoto in... Sorry, Kanagawa is near Tokyo. Kumamoto is... Um, down southwest in Kyushu mm-hmm. and yep. o- Okinawa, the island sort of prefecture in the south yeah, they're, they're of Japan. Getting, they're getting hammered down there. Yes, sir. The over, if you look at it on a sort of population basis, as in new cases per 100,000 people, Okinawa actually has had the largest increases for the past four days in a row. Mm, yeah, yeah. So hopefully they can get the situation under control in Okinawa. They've also had an increase in cases among American military personnel yeah, stationed yeah. on the island. And sadly, uh, Iwate Prefecture in the past week has ended its streak of having zero cases Assholes. of coronavirus. Yes, sir. Yeah. There's nowhere is safe in Japan now. They had four cases of coronavirus over the past week, and yeah, someone, someone, someone fucked it up for everyone. Dude, your 
getting involved in exactly the kind of behaviour we, <laughs> we cannot counter. <laughs> Takuya Taso, the governor of the prefecture, actually called on people to stop bullying of coronavirus patients, particularly yeah, that, yeah. the man in his 40s who was the first reported case. He flew home from Nagoya Airport back to Iwate and then he discovered he was uh, infected after taking a test in Iwate around the end of July. And Messed it up for everyone, man. So this is why we can't have <laughs> nice things. Well, people have been bullying him online and even calling and emailing his workplace. Yeah, that's a step too far for sure. Step too far. Yeah. Well, e well, even the whole mm. like sending him mean messages on on the internet. Mm. You know, it's like just keep it to yourself, man. Yeah, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Just talk about it on your podcast, you know. Yeah, just vent <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> yes, sir. And keep it anonymous, you know. Yes, sir. Now, I did mention this briefly in our last episode, but the both the national government and the municipal government of Tokyo have, when they've been talking about the recent increases in the number of coronavirus cases, they've frequently mentioned the fact that we are now doing more tests However, a favorite talking point for politicians everywhere. Yes, sir. They are certainly not the only national government talking about that. Yep. But this is a Japan-focused podcast, so we'll stay on Japan. Yeah, we'll but, stay. We'll stay out of other countries' politics. Yes, sir. The so around the start of June, the. A positive ratio of tests, so the number of tests that, that were positive of the tests that they conducted was around 1.4%. But now the ratio of tests that are coming back positive is around 7%. Okay. Which does appear to indicate that the infection is spreading and that we cannot sort of only say that the increase in number of cases is due to the increase in the number of tests. Well, just to play devil's advocate here, couldn't one say that the, the reason for for the higher rate of positives is that uh, somehow we're getting better at identifying people who are likely to have it? Yes, that could absolutely be a factor. However, it doesn't appear to fully explain this sort of significant mm, okay, increase in the number okay. of positive cases, especially when we take into consideration that that has mostly appeared to have been the Japanese government's strategy of testing people from the start, i.e. Mm. focusing on these kind of clusters, and also the fact that they're... I don't have the number in front of me, but we are certainly still seeing significant proportions of people for whom the rate of infection is not known. Mm, right. Okay. Uh, the root of infection is not known. Sorry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. But Sounds yes, that, that could absolutely be a factor contributing to the increase in cases. But personally, I don't think there's any that argument holds any weight. But I, I could see mm. uh, politicians certainly trying to maybe mm. make that argument as well. You know, in addition yes. to the increased testing or 
now we're getting better at finding people who probably have it. Yes, yes. And there's really no way to disprove that either. Yes, that's you true. Know? Yes. I mean, I do think that there is a large issue with using sort of testing, the number of tests conducted, the positive rate, as we're talking about, to try and assess the level of infection within the population. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. you know, as we've t discussed many times, there are also plenty of issues with just using the absolute number of cases, the number of reported deaths. There's all sorts of issues which, with, with whichever metric you use. I think ultimately we have to take a sort of comprehensive view of all the yeah, different and, factors. Mm. Yeah, and what one and one issue I also have with the way that the numbers are are reported uh, in the in the Japanese media is mm. they are, it's always an issue of well because first of all you know like like we discussed before on on, on this podcast the, the numbers themselves are delayed about three days yes yes but but the, but the reporting always makes it seem like that was the number like if they say the number report the number of report, reported cases was in tokyo was 300 on wednesday mm. like it, it, it they almost implied that that was the number of cases on wednesday yes Yes. Certainly. When in when in reality, it's the number of cases from three days ago. Yes. Yes. So, so I mean, that's my first issue, and then my second issue is mm -hmm. since it's cases typically drop on the weekends, just by mm -hmm. virtue of the fact that hospitals maybe aren't open or reduced hours, so just less tests on the weekends. So, what I think the number they should be looking at is like. So if, if if it's Thursday, they should be comparing it to the figures from last Thursday. Yes. To yes. To, to get a, a I think a more accurate picture of you know mm. how how the virus is, is spreading. But they always yes. compare it to the day before. Mm. Yes. Which I don't really feel is, is all that useful. Mm. Mm. You know, com compared to doing like a, a week on week comparison. Mm. Because uh, because what is it? every week the, the number of cases spikes on Thursday because that's the Monday number. Yes. Because so presumably, people. yeah, because mm. people that were sick over the weekend or they were unable to go because because mm. of the weekend, like everyone goes on Monday, so it creates this spike on Thursday. Yeah. Which, I think, if you if you weren't maybe as aware of what you know, like how the reporting works. Yeah, it would create this sense of of fear, mm, right? And maybe yes. that's what they're aiming for, you know. But uh, yes, mm. yeah, just the whole. I mean, the government's response is, you know, has issues, and then I think the the reporting has issues. Mm. But I mean, yeah, I don't know. So I guess we'll just try to do our part to at least paint a clearer picture. Yes, certainly. Yes. Yeah. The just quickly on that topic, the World Health Organization they have given a kind of criteria for indicating that the infection is is coming under control in a country mm -hmm. as having a positive rate uh, from the tests of around five percent or less. So okay. Japan would be failing on that criteria, but as we just talked about now, 
you know, there are issues with looking solely at the positive rate of the tests, with looking at the numbers, or pretty mm. much whichever other metric you choose. And I'm afraid I have some bad news in the final uh, item in our coronavirus roundup. In the past week, two dogs tested positive for coronavirus. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. It's a sad day. It can't We can't let it get the dogs, too. They're too precious. No, yeah, they, they didn't do anything wrong. No, sir. Neither dog had symptoms, apparently, and there is a possibility it could be a false positive. We must watch out. Although I, I thought the uh, as mm. as part of that uh, news item, it, it mm. mentioned that uh, so there's uh, Anacom mm. is a company yes. that provides pet insurance. Yeah, and apparently they've got a program where if the owner tests positive for the COVID, mm. then if you if you have this Anacom insurance for your pet. That the uh, the insurance company will take your pet for you to you know take care of it uh, while you recover, so you don't have to worry about uh, finding pet care you know while you're in the hospital or what have you. So I, I thought that was kind mm. of nice. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's a good idea because that kind of pet care, you know, putting a dog in the kennels for two or three weeks can be expensive, can't it? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I have, um, I have some rodents as pets. You know, they're not they're not wild or anything. They're uh, they're, mm. they're they're caged up. You know, they're. Uh, I used to have some mice. You know, now mm. I got a chinchilla. But yep. uh, yeah, e- even rodents, which require, I think, comparatively little care compared to uh, cats mm. or dogs, it, it still runs. You know. If, 20 or 30 dollars a day because mm. you know, when i've gone on vacation i leave them with a like a pet kennel mm. i guess pet yeah. hotel whatever you want to call it and yeah they, yeah, yeah. They, even for a rodent which doesn't need to be walked you know you just kind of set the cage in the corner and give them food and water and that's about it and, and clean out the cage every couple of days but yeah even that kind of care still is 20 or 30 bucks a day so yeah and yeah, times two weeks, that's, you know, I don't know, $500. Mm, certainly. Yeah, so I, I would imagine for cats and dogs, it costs even more. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that about covers the, the coronavirus for this week. Yes, sir. Okay, well, uh, I guess I'll move on to my news article segue into that because it is coronavirus related yep and i i I tweeted about this yesterday so if you don't follow us on twitter go ahead and do that if Mm. you would like no pressure uh but so uh, the governor of osaka prefecture uh hirofumi yoshimura which uh he's He's a somewhat divisive guy. Mm. He, uh, he's one of those politicians that um, he, he's, he speaks his mind. He's one of those politicians. And yesterday he held, or the day before, he held a news conference saying that if you, if you do catch the coronavirus, you should gargle with 
this iodine-based solution, and that will speed up your recovery. And he cited a study, and I think this is the funny part, where the study itself <laughs> was conducted with 41 patients. Okay. With mild symptoms. Yep. And they gargled four times a day with this iodine gargle. Mm. And those who did the gargle were uh, positive. Uh, those who did the gargle, 9.5 of them were positive after four days. Okay. And those who did not do the gargle, 40% were positive after four days. Hmm. So it seems to indicate that there might be some benefit there. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah. But, you know, first of all, 41 is not exactly a, a statistically significant number. No. I don't think. Small five. sample size. Yeah, the sample size is way too small. Um, and that combined with a, apparently the study, like it wasn't like even remotely like properly conducted, you know, with with respect to you know the the gold standard of like a double blind, you know, with the placebo and that that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't even have a placebo. The people who did not gargle mm. were gargling with water. Okay. Yeah. So it's immediately obvious, you know, if that you're not using the because the iodine-based solution has kind of a brown tint to it. So yeah, I mean, just the study itself is deeply flawed. But yet he's still uh, going on national TV saying to use this gargle. Yep. And apparently, after the news conference, mm. the the gargle it flew off the shelves. And it's sold out everywhere. Wow. And people are scalping it on Amazon and uh, your various flea market type websites. Mm. Uh, although, um, if anyone out there is thinking of making a quick buck from, uh, from this, you should be reminded that it is technically illegal to sell medication mm. uh, w without a proper license. So um, you could be possibly be opening yourself up to some trouble mm -hmm. if you try it. So just be aware of that. Uh, and uh, just to conclude, another thing I thought was interesting for anyone out there who likes a good conspiracy theory is that in Japan, so th this iodine-based solution uh, for gargling, it, it, it's a rather common mm. household item, yes. I think. Um, people, I, I, like the general wisdom, I think, is to, like, anytime you go outside, even before the whole coronavirus thing, you know, especially during, like, flu season, mm. uh, like, kids are always taught to, they come home to wash your hands and to gargle with uh, this iodine thing. Mm. And in any case, there are, there are two major manufacturers of, this solution in Japan and one of them is a uh, Shionogi and company and the other one is a uh, Meiji Holdings and Meiji is headquartered in Tokyo 
But Shionogi and Company, their headquarters is in Osaka. Oh no! And and immediately after this announcement, mm. Shionogi's shares rose three point six percent, and Meiji's shares rose also seven point seven percent. Not suspicious, isn't it? Yeah, so it seems a bit suspect, if you ask me. It certainly does, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, even if he doesn't directly benefit from mm. it. If, uh, you know, more sales means more tax revenue. That's true. Yeah. And I'm sure as the mayor of the city where Shionogi's headquarters are located, he must have met with the executives, I guess. Yeah, or else where is he getting this information from? Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. Do you gargle with an iodine solution yourself? No, I think it's bullshit. I never. Do you have. think? I think so. Yeah. Mm. And isn't iodine one of those things that, like, it's? I mean, it's it's not going to kill you or anything, but it's not. It's not really good for you. Right? Isn't that isn't that what they gave out during the Cold War? Because you're supposed to <laughs> you're supposed to take it after the nukes hit or something. What like was that? that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, if you take an iodine pill, it it mitigates some of the harmful effects of of like radioactive fallout. Yeah. I believe, and so yeah, they handed it out during the Cold mm. War. In in the U.S. and and and, and in Russia, yeah, but both, both both sides of the 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 Cold War were uh, mm. rather yeah adamant about making sure that was available in case they got nuked. Mm. Mm. So, but but yeah, I mean that aside, yeah, I don't think it's good for you. And, and granted, you're not ingesting it, right? You're just gargling with yeah. it. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure like it's not a problem, but yeah, yeah. It just doesn't seem like something that does it. You should be doing on a regular basis. I don't mm. know. Does it have any benefit for dental health, like a regular mouthwash, or does it? Is it just the idea that it kills the bacteria in the back of your throat? I think. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I. I don't think there's any dental benefit. Yeah. Um, like I always felt like, if anything, it seems like it would be kind of slightly detrimental <laughs> because it, it it does have this like brown color. Yes, yes. And so, wouldn't it stain your teeth if you're gargling with that like multiple times a day? I mean, I mean, I, I and you could say the same thing about coffee drinkers, but yes, but that's well known, and I don't think anyone disputes that coffee will stain your teeth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it seems mm. like this stuff can also stain your teeth. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I've never bought into it. But yeah, yeah. Culturally, it, it's a very it's a household mm. item that pretty much every household has, mm. and people gargle with it all the time. Yep. It it seems kind of old fashioned to me. Oh yeah, certainly mm. yeah. And I think you know, in the West, we're pretty health conscious people mm. as well. Yeah, certainly. But the fact is, never. I mean, I, the feeling I get is that if there were 
measurable benefits, mm. then it would probably be be used in the West as mm. well. I mean, to play but, devil's advocate, yeah. though, it does seem that, especially mm. with coronavirus, that basically no one knows really, even still, what is going right. on. Like, the whole thing with masks, it seems to be more or less accepted opinion now that masks do make a difference. Whereas, and I think we certainly talked about this before when the whole coronavirus story mm. was first breaking, you know, like the World Health Organization's advice at first was that ordinary people don't need to bother wearing masks. Yeah, yeah, that's You know, true. especially that's in true. Britain that, you know, the government said people didn't need to bother wearing masks either for quite a long mm. time. Yeah, in the US as well. Yeah. Mm. Whereas it appears opinion has shifted now. Who knows? Maybe with iodine solution perhaps in three or four months the whole world will be going mad for it yeah you never know maybe maybe, maybe we should stock up man yes sir pile into those meiji and shionogi stocks eh yeah and buy some iodine futures <laughs> yes sir <laughs> if there is such a thing yes sir yeah but uh but in any case it it, yeah, it probably mm. doesn't hurt, and and that's his argument mm. as well, uh, that he said in the press conferences. Like it, he, he, I think he conceded that you know it's the research is very preliminary, yeah. but it's it's worth a shot. Was basically what he said. Yeah, yeah. Which which you know I, mean, I think it's a it's a sensible position. I mean because it mm. it, it can't hurt. Mm. Yep. But I don't, yeah, it's just one of those things where I think it's a bit premature. I don't know if he should have announced it at this stage, but because I mean, it gives me a feeling there's, they're now at this point, they're just kind of grasping at straws. Yeah. Like anything that could even has a remote possibility of mitigating the damage mm. is fair game, it looks like. Yeah. 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 Oh well, we shall wait and see what the opinion is on iodine solution. Although I don't think it's going anywhere in Japan. I think it's you know people are pretty firmly attached to that particular product. Yeah, here. regardless. Mm. Yeah, but hey, yeah, maybe in a couple months I'll I'll eat my words. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on to the next item? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So this has been quite a big news story in Japan over the past couple of weeks. It actually broke a couple of weeks ago, maybe, but we have recently had more details come out about the people involved. So that's why mm. I decided it would be an interesting topic to talk about today. And the story is Yoshikazu Okubo, 42 years of age, and Naoki Yamamoto, 43 years of age, two doctors were arrested on the 23rd of July, so a couple of weeks ago, like I said, mm -hmm. on suspicion of a crime that I suppose would be translated as murder at the victim's request or contract murder or something like that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, for allegedly administering a lethal dose of barbiturates to Yuri Hayashi a 51-year-old Japanese woman suffering from ALS, 
also known as motor neuron disease or Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, Lou Gehrig's, yeah. At her home in Kyoto in Western Japan on November 30th last year. Mm. And allegedly the doctors had her consent for this and she paid them 1.3 million yen, according okay. to articles. So it appears to be a case of euthanasia. Yeah, or uh, assisted suicide, another way to call it. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So Hayashi, she, you know, it's obviously a very sad story. Mm. And, you know, of course, I hope that she's in at peace now. She was a kind of career woman. She worked in architecture. And in 2011, she discovered she had ALS and it gradually deteriorated to the point where she needed 24-hour care. She couldn't move mm. at all. She operated Twitter and her blog with her eyes. And oh, on her, really? Yeah. And on her blog, she talked about euthanasia and mm. how she wanted to be euthanized overseas. Uh, she, oh, okay, okay. Particularly in Switzerland, where it is legal under certain circumstances. However, she learned that it would be difficult in Switzerland because technically, according to what I've read, and I'm sure any of our Swiss listeners... Our army of Swiss listeners can correct me. Mm -hmm. But from what I've read, apparently, technically, so assisted suicide is technically legal in Switzerland. Okay. But active euthanasia is not legal. So basically, the doctor can prescribe le lethal drugs, but the patient mm -hmm. has to play a role in their administration. So, for example, so the, the, the patient has to like push the button, exactly, like, so, so to speak. Exactly. So the doctor mm. can give you the drugs, but you have to take them or inject them or or whatever you know the method of administration is. And in this right. case, well, oh, mm. yeah, okay. So if you're in a state such as with uh, ALS, yes, that that you're unable to physically administer the whatever the drug is to yourself, then yes. technically it's not legal, I guess. Yes, yes. Mm. According to my understanding from what I've read. But uh -huh, uh -huh. yes. So this means that it would be very difficult for Hayashi to mm -hmm. uh, commit suicide in this manner. Right. Like, like I wonder mm. if, if you set up some sort of contraption where yeah. she could operate it with her eyes. Like she does, like she does yeah, with her that's, typing. That's what I you wondered. Know, if, if you had a device that could, yeah, do that, then would that be okay? Yeah, that's what I wondered, but I haven't been able to find out whether or not that would be permitted. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. seems, from what I've read, that whether or not it's possible legally, that's not currently how it's done. But it is okay, an interesting okay. question. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, in any case. In any case, yes. Now, in Japan, so I mentioned the word active euthanasia there. There's basically two kinds of euthanasia, um, or it's considered in two different ways. There's active mm -hmm. euthanasia and passive euthanasia. And passive euthanasia is where, for example, the administration of a certain drug might 
save a patient's life. But with the patient's consent, the doctor does not ad- administer that drug. Or, for example, the I patient see, could see. be kept alive using a machine or something, but they right. mutually decide not to use that machine. So or, it's kind or, of, uh, I mm. guess if, uh, if a patient declines like cancer treatment and ends yes. up passing away from the cancer, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. That's mm. passive mm. euthanasia. And, uh, base, and they also call this dying with dignity in Japan. And okay. I've heard the term used elsewhere as well, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this kind of euthanasia is basically permitted legally. I mean, it's sort of a grey area, but it, uh, yeah, de I mean, facto, it it's, I guess mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of makes sense because you can't force yeah. someone to undergo a treatment that they willingly like decline. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. However, active euthanasia is the now this is where like a doctor for example actively as you would imagine from the name administers like an injection or a certain drug or something that will result in the death of the patient Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and this is for all intents and purposes illegal in japan there have Mm -hmm, actually been some mm -hmm. interesting court cases which if we're not running out of time too much i might mention briefly at the end yeah, but yeah. basically, it's more or less illegal. Now, going back to the main story, so Okubo and Yamamoto, these two doctors, they exchanged messages with Hayashi, who was suffering from ALS, for about nearly a year before her death on Twitter. It seems mainly on direct okay. messages. It started when Hayashi wrote about euthanasia, and Okubo sort of responded, saying he would. He, you know, he would offer to help her around January 2019. Oh, really? Yeah. And then, so the doctors took the initiative on this. Mm, it seems kind of that way, yes. Yeah. Well, as we'll talk about very soon, Okubo does seem to have been very active in this. I suppose you'd call it like a euthanasia community or people talking about okay. euthanasia online. Then on the day itself, uh, Okubo and Yamamoto visited Hayashi's apartment. They pretended to be friends of hers and they gave a false name to the caretaker that was there. Oh, the, mm-hmm. the carer, sorry, um, of Hayashi. The carer left the room and about five or ten minutes later, the two doctors left. And then the carer went back into the room and found Hayashi unconscious. Mm-hmm. She was taken to a hospital and pronounced dead at the hospital. And it appears the doctors use the same or similar kind of drugs to those that are used by some assisted suicide groups in Europe and the US. Yeah, and I think mm. it's, uh, I'm not very familiar with mm. uh, the, the types of drugs, but I, I've heard the term, the, like the barbiturates, I've, mm. I've heard that used in the context also of uh, the, the death penalty in the US. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, for for um, because uh, I think most states mm. do it with injection, mm. and uh, yeah, I think they use barbiturates as well in those cases. Mm. Yes, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. So let's talk about these two doctors a bit because this is the sort of reason I found this story quite interesting, and I'll be interested mm-hmm. to hear what you think about them. So Yoshikazu Okubo, one of the two. He 
sort of seemed like a normal doctor to his colleagues. He was relatively well liked, but he was he had this hidden side to him where he was sort of obsessed with euthanasia, it seems, online. Really? Yeah. So, you know, he did like a poll on Twitter talking about how much people would be willing to pay for assisted suicide. Most people, and this was in February 2018, most of the 3,000 respondents chose 1 million yen, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. kind of similar to the amount that Hayashi in the end paid him yeah, and yeah. Yamamoto. He had a blog where he wrote about how to kill people and not leave any traces for the police to find using... Well, it looks like he should have taken his own advice on those things. <laughs> well, exactly. Because <laughs> they found him out pretty quick. Yes, and <laughs> yes, he, in, in 2015, he actually published an ebook called... I mean, the title in English would be roughly something like Techniques for destroying old people that we don't know what to do with. <laughs> Where, Whoa, that's uh, and, that that escalated quickly. Yes, sir. And in this ebook, which also has the other doctor Naoki Yamamoto, the other doctor in this case, listed as co co-author. Oh wow! Okay. But in the ebook, he talks about the perfect crime of making death look like the result of medical treatment. It did. Uh, once again, he probably should have taken his own <laughs> advice in this one. Yes, sir. And the book is currently under review on Amazon, so it's not available to purchase, but there's a couple oh, of hmm. reviews. And the top review at the moment says, you know, it seems like maybe the content here is not correct because, as you said, it obviously was not the perfect crime. Yeah. Yeah, it did remind me this case a little bit. Obviously, I know they're not really comparable because the doctor I'm about to talk about was obviously a a serial killer, but Harold Mm -hmm. Shipman in the UK, have you heard that name? No, I don't think so, no. So he was was a serial killer, but he was a doctor, and his sort of method would be to visit old people who were struggling and give them injections and basically kill them. But mm-hmm. just this kind of fascination with death and the power of over life and death in regard to medical treatment sort of seemed, it reminded me as I was reading about Okubo. Obviously, this case is a lot more nuanced because Hayashi was suffering and indicated that she wanted to end her own life many times. Right, right, right. He also, Okubo, he modelled himself after this uh, character in a manga by Osamu Tezuka. The manga is called Blackjack and the character is called uh, Dr. Kiriko. And this doctor specializes in euthanasia. Oh. Yeah. In 2013, he wrote, uh, he said, I wrote in my yearbook that my dream is becoming Dr. Kiriko because I became well aware of how disconsolate medical care for the aged is by the time I graduated from medical school. Mm. He wrote, Also on Twitter in 2014, if I were to start a business, it would have to be like Dr. Kiriko. It would probably end up being classed as assisted suicide, but I have enough knowledge not to get caught or or not to be arrested. Ah, the irony. 
Yes, sir. He, you know, conti- he, in, in 2019, it seemed like his discussion of this topic accelerated on Twitter or he became more brash, I suppose you would say. Uh-huh. He talked about creating a religious corporation as a front before performing euthanasia. Oh, boy. He talked about writing euthanasia consultant on his business cards. He uh, started a forum exchanging information on euthanasia called something like the Euthanasia Research Group in English. Mm-hmm. So he does seem to have been kind of obsessed with this topic. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Yeah, just the only other thing I might say, you know, he had like a sort of standard medical career, I suppose. He went to medical school and then he graduated. He actually became a... I'm not sure what the English name for it is, but something like a medical technical official for a while, basically working for the government, helping uh, formulate medical policy. They have people with a medical license to do that. Yes. So he did that Mm -hmm. for a while and that apparently caused a bit of a rift with his, with his family because his family had wanted him to be a doctor, whereas he wasn't actually working as a doctor at that time. But he did become a doctor. He left the mm-hmm. Ministry of Health, Labour and Welfare for whom he worked and did become a doctor after a few years of doing that. The uh, Also, just the only other interesting thing about him is that according to his Twitter, he was subject to severe bullying when he was a child. And some of the examples that he gave was that he was kind of knocked down into a toilet. He mm. had... Like lime, you know, like the chemical lime, that white powder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was mixed in with, with his food and he was forced to eat it. You know, Ugh. he was kicked with studded shoes. So apparently, according to him on his Twitter, he did suffer some bullying. So I wonder if that uh, affected his development. So that's. Yeah, that, that sounds rough. Yeah. Yeah, so that is one of our two. Um, sort of alleged perpetrators of this crime. The other one, yep. Yamamoto, Naoki Yamamoto, is almost equally interesting, but for different reasons. Okay. So he operated a clinic, a men's health clinic in Tokyo, a clinic for erectile dysfunction. Okay, so... <laughs> so basically he just sat around and wrote Viagra prescriptions, is that Yeah Well I'm assuming so. But yeah. but he didn't just do this. He also served as a director of a company that offered medical training seminars. He was involved in iodine manufacturing for cancer treatment. Oh iodine, we meet and, again. <laughs> yes. Uh, and C B D as well what's that that's like kind of cannabis oils or something isn't it yeah Um, i think so yeah yeah as a method of treatment so and according to people that met him he was very kind of dry and cool this guy more like a businessman than a doctor he basically Mm. seemed willing to do anything that would make money (laughs) okay he apparently he set up a clinic for japanese people on the of Japanese expats on island of Cebu in the Philippines. Oh, yeah, it's a popular vacation spot. 
Yes, sir. But yeah. this, the clinic was viewed with some suspicion by people living locally, and it soon closed. And apparently, according to the article I read, there were suspicions that there was illegal activity or medicine really? was being practiced illegally at that business. The mm. And just for another little tidbit for you. So, he went to Tokyo Medical and Dental University, which is fine. That's a normal medical yeah. school in Japan. But he actually dropped out. And he ended up going to Kyunghee University, which is a good university uh, in Korea. But yeah. mm. it's unclear whether or not he graduated from that university. Hmm. Although he does have a medical license in Japan based on having graduated from a medical school overseas. So there has been some suspicion that he might have obtained his license to practice medicine illegally or fraudulently. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, however, according to someone that met him, who was quoted in the article I read, he he didn't trick people so much or scam them. He was more about, you know, medicine is a difficult area because people will often be desperate for treatment. You know, yeah, their lives yeah. are at stake that make them more susceptible um, to sales tactics, I suppose you would say than perhaps yeah. other, other areas. You know, it's a lot easier to sell someone a life-saving treatment than it is to sell someone like a new stereo, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And it seemed, according to the quote in the article, that Yamamoto was all too eager to take advantage of people's wish to cling for life and extract money from them. As I said, not exactly mm. scamming them, but he happy to turn anything into a business opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what do you think of those t those two? Then you've got these two interesting characters, right? One obsessed with yeah. euthanasia, and one who perhaps was willing to do anything for money, even if it meant well, playing fast and loose like the, with the law. Mm. The perfect combination. Yeah. Right, you've got the you've got the the technical guy, mm. and then you've got the marketing guy. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, Steve Wozniak and or not Steve Wozniak. Uh, what's his first name? Uh, yeah, I know who you mean, but I can't remember his first name. The guy in Apple, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, mm. yeah, it was Steve Jobs, and then his mm. his uh, compadre uh, Woz Wozniak. Yeah, yeah, but Woz was the the technical guy mm. and then jobs was the marketing guy yeah so yeah it seems like the the dynamic duo of the euthanasia industry yeah but uh unfortunately yeah they weren't as good as they thought they were mm. although well unfortunately for them but i think fortunately for the the rest of society that they uh that they're off the streets at least yes sir yeah you know, I have mixed feelings about euthanasia, but on the whole, I would say I probably support the idea, perhaps that if someone wants to end their life with dignity, mm -hmm. that they, you know, even if that is in an active manner, that they should, that it's compassionate perhaps to assist them with a the means to do so. But I'm not 100% sure of my opinion in that regard. Yeah, I... Mm. 
yeah, I have a similar view. I think um, in certain circumstances, I think it is probably okay to have it available as an option. Mm. Um, but, you know, you got to do it within the confines of the law. I think, you know, you can't have yeah. people just doing whatever. You got you to gotta respect the law. Exactly, so, yes. And yeah. as I mentioned, just very quickly, the so active euthanasia is basically illegal in Japan. However, right. there have been a few interesting court cases that have kind of set precedents where in the verdicts of these court cases, they talked about conditions that might make the an act of active euthanasia perhaps somewhat more acceptable or more likely to be pronounced as innocent of the crime of mm -hmm. you know sort of murder yeah than otherwise and in so there's one case in Nagoya in the early 1960s when a man put poison in his father's milk because he couldn't bear to watch his father continue suffering from his illnesses and in that case the man was found okay. guilty of the same crime that these two doctors have been arrested of this kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. um, contract murder I suppose you'd call it yeah so in the second case a Tokai University hospital doctor mm. um, ended the life of a man suffering from late-stage cancer after being requested many times very strongly to do so by the man's wife and son. The man himself was in a coma, which did affect the judgment in this case. Yeah, yeah. So That's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. The doctor was found guilty for the reasons that I'll, I'll mention in a minute, but he was given a very light sentence. This was in 1995 mm -hmm. when the case went to trial. He was given a sentence of two years in prison, but suspended for two years, so more or less, you know, walking walking free, more or less, assuming yeah, he does not less, commit yeah. other crimes. And in this case, the court came up with four criteria under which kind of active euthanasia might be permitted. Mm -hmm. There were number one, the patient is suffering from very intense physical pain. Number two... The death is unavoidable and close. Number three, the doctor has tried all possible methods to relieve and reduce the patient's pain, and there is no alternative. And number four, the patient has expressed a clear desire to shorten his or her own life. And of course, in this case, the man was in a coma, so he could not express his consent, and he also was not suffering from intense physical pain, or it did not appear that he was. Right, right. And as a result, the doctor was found guilty. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. So if we, if we kind of apply those criteria to this case, it's, it seems that they might be, the doctors might be perhaps found guilty on those standards. Well, I mean, the conviction rate in Japan is over 99% anyway, so if they have been arrested, then they probably will be found guilty. But Yeah, yeah. The Whether Hayashi... I suppose Hayashi might have been suffering from intense physical pain, but it does not seem, perhaps, that death was unavoidable and close. 
Well, yeah, that's mm. that's kind of a weird one, isn't it? With with Lou Gehrig's because mm. there's there's no way to stop its progression. So, like, you know, you could make the argument that death was inevitable. Yes. Yes. Um. But yeah, I mean, that's one of those kind of weird things where because death is inevitable for for everyone right which is probably why they added the the close yes criteria yes so yeah they would have to be able to prove that it was rather imminent mm. which i'm not too sure about the like, how long people in that state could be expected to the life expectancy, you know, the, the prognosis, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's not something I'm too familiar mm-hmm. with. But but it, it doesn't seem like, it, it seemed, it, it, the impression I get was that death was somewhat imminent because she had already progressed to the stage where she had lost movement in pretty much every part of her body, right? Except for her eyes. Yes, yes, like, yes. Yeah. So I think you know you could definitely make the argument that mm. death was relatively close. Yeah. Yeah. And and she also had expressed a clear desire to shorten her own life many times on Twitter mm-hmm, and on mm-hmm. her blog. Right. Right. In the other case that I mentioned in Nagoya, they had more or less the same criteria. That was an earlier case, but they had an extra one that was something like the treatment must be administered only to reduce and relieve the suffering of the patient mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in this case perhaps because the two doctors received money from Hayashi yeah there's perhaps a suggestion that this might mean that it does not fall under the category of euthanasia because the doctor's motivation perhaps was to make a profit from this and not merely to ease yeah, that's Hayashi's suffering that- yeah, that's definitely the the I think the part about this story that rubs me the wrong way mm. a little bit is the the exchange of money. Yes, yes. Because if mm. they were doing it purely for, you know, what they believed were ethical reasons, then mm. I could see you know them receiving compensation for you know, the cost of the medication. Mm. Right, I mean that that makes sense. Yes, yes. Um, but um, it it seems rather, yeah, like they were trying to turn a profit uh, as well. So they're not doing it purely on you know their moral grounds. Yes, they're also trying to make some money. Yes, which I think really hurts their case. Yes, well, and I mean this is just reading, or my own guess based on reading about their personalities in different articles. But it seems that that. I think we can assume that that was the case for Yamamoto, who seems to have been motivated to try anything connected with yeah, medicine as as if it the, made yeah, him a profit. Yeah, to made, a, made a quick buck. Yeah. For Okubo, yeah. it seems a little bit more complicated, but I had the impression he was obsessed with this idea of having power over life and death. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, he talked about mm-hmm. euthanasia a lot, but he also just talked straight up about killing people and killing old mm, people. Right, right, right. You know, whether or not you agree or disagree with euthanasia, I think we, you know, we would have to be very, very careful about the kinds of people that were permitted to practice euthanasia, and someone like this would not be suitable. Yeah, I think this is definitely one area where the uh, the Japanese way of yeah. requiring 
ridiculous amounts of paperwork and approvals would probably be a good idea. Yeah. If, if it were to be a, like a, a recognized thing. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I don't want to end on too dark a note, but it did kind of remind me a little bit of, do you remember back in 2016, there was an awful case where a former care worker at a sort of facility for the disabled um, stabbed 19 Oh, yeah, he went on like a rampage. He went on a rampage, yes, and injured many more. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. That was in uh, Kanagawa Prefecture near Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the man in that case, Satoshi Uematsu, actually presented a letter to the Speaker of the Lower House in which he said, among other things, I mean, this letter is crazy, you can read it online, but one of the things he said was, my goal is a world in which... In cases where it is difficult for the severely disabled to live at home and be socially active, they can be euthanized with the consent of their guardians. You know, obviously. That's a bold statement, yeah. Yes, sir. Another another man who had a kind of obsession with euthanasia. The consequences mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. case were a lot more tragic. Yeah, yeah. But well, an interesting topic, eh? But. A little bit dark, a little bit morbid, and obviously yeah, a very is, yeah. sad story. But but it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think it's good to at least present these uh, these news items and spread awareness about what's going on. Yeah, certainly, and it has been a big debate yeah. in Japan over the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. But well, I guess uh, on that note. We will uh, call it for this week. It's been it's been a little over an hour. Thank you for okay. sticking around. And if you just can't get enough of our banter and ill-formed opinions on various topics, uh, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our username is Real Japan Guys on both of those. Or you can come to our website at thereal.jp or email us at mail at thereal.jp. And as always, find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So thank you for sticking around, and we will see you all again next week. Goodbye, listeners. Bye-bye.